Okay, back on another show, uh, Dr. Zero Trust Show with my good friend Sandy from Forrester Research here. Sandy's been here before, so I'm not going to have her do the obligatory how awesome are you intro, but we're just going to dive into the topic and get into the, uh, the space around WAFs, right? Absolutely, and I'm very much looking forward to this debate, Chase. So when when you think of WAF, I think we should clarify for the folks in general, like what's your sort of definition of the space for WAF. I mean, for, for those that aren't uh, initiated, we're talking about web application firewalls. How do you how do you see that market in that space and as it stands right now? As it stands now, and sort of the traditional definition of a web application firewall is it is sitting in front of your layer seven application traffic, analyzing it and detecting and blocking potential application attacks. That's what a WAF should be doing. So you said should. So what do WAFs do? So I would say that WAFs were traditionally or historically put in place in mid-2000s. They were pretty old technology in the security realm. You know, we have a lot of stuff that has been launched or evolved fairly recently that we might talk about as in the last, you know, four, five, six years. WAFs have been around for over 15. And... When they were put in place and when they were launched, it was in part because there were a lot of compliance regulations around monitoring and managing and blocking application traffic. And so a lot of the reasons that people initially acquired WAFs were to meet those compliance regulations. And the challenge that sometimes they ran into was that the WAF was not always perfect at differentiating between good and bad traffic. And when false positives are triggered and legitimate traffic is blocked, people get not surprisingly unhappy. And so what we had historically were, you know, false positives that would frustrate the business. And then you would turn the WAF to a logging or monitoring mode versus a blocking mode. So yes, WAFs should be blocking and traffic and deterring attacks. But very often, if they were just set in logging mode, they were just telling you what was going through. And that that's the thing that I think caused a lot of frustration historically. And even when you had a WAF in your environment, you weren't actually blocking the attacks because you didn't have it configured to do that. And we've seen examples of application attacks where it turned out the WAF could have caught it, but it wasn't configured properly. So then is that a, a lack of using the WAF the right way, or is that a problem of um, the the older and sort of still evolving piece of the rule sets causing that problem where it is, you know, cause, it's making you be like, all right, I'm just not going to use this for defense. I'm going to use it for monitoring, which is not really the value proposition of a WAF. Right. It You're spending a lot and you're putting in a lot of work to put in something just for monitoring, right? And I think what it came down to, Chase, was that because the early WAFs, if the rule sets weren't really tight, and if you didn't have that good level of detail, and if you were getting a lot of false positives, or you weren't getting the granularity we needed, the obvious solution to that in the near term is, okay, we're just going to turn it off, turn it to logging mode until we can get it figured out. And when do you think until we can get it figured out happened? Um, never. <laughs> right. You know, that's one of those things we'll get to it someday. Yeah. So the good news here is that like a lot of other detection tools in the market, 
detection has improved and we've gotten better at creating more granular rule sets. We've gotten better at creating real-time uh, rule sets and pushing out new information as attacks happen. When we had Log4j last year, the WAF vendors were really proactive in pushing out new rules to block those attacks. So we are getting a lot better at that. And that sort of pushes us back to the conversation. WAFs have a little bit of a mixed history, but I almost want to say, do you remember those old commercials for Oldsmobile where it was like, this is not your father's old Oldsmobile? Yeah. Mm -hmm. it, and it got a lot of flack because it frankly was a terrible campaign and helped ruin them. But to some extent, you know, this is not your parents' WAF. The WAFs today have a lot more granularity in the rule set. They have a lot more proactivity. And pretty critically, they're not just about your traditional web traffic. WAFs today are realizing they've got to be able to detect and deter attacks through APIs. They need to be able to do some API discovery because so many applications are built with APIs. WAFs today have added in some client-side protections in a lot of cases, sometimes some you know, data leakage protections. There's a whole set of additional capabilities that are added in because just OWASP top 10 is not enough anymore. So in your opinion, is a WAF a necessary piece of uh, enterprise security stack or is there a way to get around that just, you know, uh, strategically side? Are, I mean, is it one of those things where you could be like, look, the WAF is doing the monitoring. I'll live with that, but I'm going to make sure that I have, you know, X, Y, and Z on the other side. Because in my opinion, it's like, okay, well, if, if there's ever like a sacrificial technology I'm looking for, <laughs> you know, I mean, the, the high false positive rate, the fact that it usually gets turned to monitor mode, like I, I would say I could punt it. Is that wrong? If you are not making good use of your WAF, you want to see what else is out there. Now, Which, I will say a lot of people, a lot of people. What would be an alternative to the, uh, I mean, yep. I, I'm not trying to lead the witness. I'm just saying yep. in your opinion, like what would be sort of standard approaches to it when you didn't have a WAF or didn't so want you, Yeah. If you don't have a WAF or if you're trying to do something that, you know, is offers some, some additional alternatives, uh, RASP is still an option. It's been a little bit slow on uptake because of some performance concerns, some concerns about some of the <coughs> some of the managing of agents that are required, some of the questions about, you know, will it support all the languages that my apps are developed in? But RASP also had a moment, again, during Log4j, where folks who had that deployed with their applications, they didn't have to do anything. The RASP just responded to the attack and blocked it. And, you know, from a management standpoint, that's incredibly powerful. We're seeing a lot of API security specialists come out here that are doing a lot of the API protection that WAFs have adopted as well. And if those can extend to more traditional classical web applications also, that addresses some of the need. We've got bot management solutions that are addressing the business logic attacks. So you can definitely recreate a lot of those protections with some of the other tooling out there. It's not that WAF is the only game in town. In some ways, it's one of the you know, better known, certainly more common ones. I will say that WAF is the most commonly deployed of any of the application security technologies that I've looked at according to the Forrester data. Hmm. And, and I mean, to some extent, Chase, it's not surprising. It's been around forever. Everyone has one. So, you know, 
it's something that people understand. They understand how it works. They know what to do with it. But if you're a WAF vendor, you also shouldn't be resting on your laurels, assuming that people are just going to go ahead and keep using it because there are alternatives out there. And if you don't invest, if you don't improve your offering, you're going to falter a little bit. And I would argue, you know, five years ago when folks were saying, hey, there's nothing new here. Maybe we need to look at RASP. Maybe we need to look at other options. I do think that the WAF vendors responded to that and realized, oh, crap, we actually need to do something different, do something new, improve the detection capabilities, extend the use cases, because otherwise we're going to get overtaken. We're going to get left behind. Hmm. Yeah. And I, 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 okay. So those are great points. I think that one thing that comes to mind, because this actually was something somebody asked me was when I'm thinking of WAF, web application firewall side, why do WAFs have an issue with DDoS as an attack vector. And there's a lot of, you know, published material on WAFs or systems with WAFs in front of them kind of fall over when there is a denial of service attack. And people have either the misconception or the uh, misrealization, if that's a word, that WAFs aren't really specifically for DDoS defense. Hmm. Fair or wrong? Very fair. You'll hmm. find a lot of vendors that offer both WAF and DDoS, but a WAF is not a DDoS solution. And interestingly, and I'd be actually really curious to hear about the use case that your contact talked about, but this came up a lot with bots. Customers would reach out to us upset that, hey, you know, we're having a huge bot attack that is causing a denial of service and our WAF isn't stopping it. Well, bots are business logic attacks. They're not taking advantage of flaws in the application. They're using the application the way it's intended. They're just going at a mass rate. So if you're having mass login attempts and it's a perfectly valid page, that's really not going to be blocked or stopped by a WAF unless you have some, you know, some controls in there. But that's not what a WAF is for. Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, it's because I have a lot of folks that'll talk about, well, we had a WAF and we got hit with a DDoS. And I, I'm usually saying, well, that that's not going Separate to be. Separate tool. Yeah. Like, but there's a misconception. And when you say web application and then you throw the word firewall in, people think, well, that'll stop traffic and throttle stuff somehow. It's an interesting point, Chase, because I think there are a couple of misconceptions that come with this. I think folks assume that, to your point, WAF will stop all DDoS attacks. There's also an assumption that a WAF will stop all bot attacks. Mm -hmm. And sometimes there's an assumption that a DDoS solution will stop all bot attacks. Mm -hmm. All of those things together, there is this, it, it's a language confusion, right? About what the intent of each tool is and what level of attack it is intended to stop. But mm -hmm. I can imagine if you're the security team and you have this expectation WAF's going to stop DDoS. Hooray. You're going to get frustrated. You're going to get disappointed and you're going to want to throw the thing in the garbage, right? So so clarity and just general kind of mis, uh, misappropriation of the term in the market has skewed that understanding probably. It sounds degree. like, yeah. I, I think certainly in the case that you mentioned um, and your particular case I hadn't heard of before, but I've heard a lot about the on the bot side. Mm -hmm. So yeah, there is absolutely a a misperception out there. And again, when you have this technology and tool that's been around for 15 plus years, 
maybe it's easy to think that, okay, this can solve a lot of my problems. It can solve some, but, you know, you, you, you've got to stay on top of what the current capabilities in the market are. And that's hard. Yeah. Well, it's where they're uh, staying ahead of the curve comes up. So, okay, let me throw... Let me throw this at you and see if this if my position here makes sense. So when I do the research and read up, um, there was a couple of publications that said 40% of organizations are happy with their WAF, which means 60 aren't. Um, and then 66% of respondents uh, consider the WAF a vitally important tool. However, only 43% of that 60% actually use the WAF to do anything other than alerting, which is exactly what you were talking about. Now, the last thing, um, as a direct result, a massive 86% of folks that responded to the survey experienced application layer attacks that bypassed their WAF within 12 months. So my question there is, if I'm, if I'm looking at this and there's this long history of this thing going on, and I see those types of fail points and data that indicates that it's not doing its job, how do you justify getting a WAF when it's got those big issues? You know, ultimately, a WAF, if used properly, if you understand what you're buying it for, if you're spending the time to configure it, if you're working with the vendor to make sure that they're pushing the rules to, ha to help with all of that stuff, it can be a very strong part of your overall application defense. But it sounds like what was happening in this, in some in some of the survey data that you were sharing is that they were putting it there and they were ignoring it. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, particularly with a lot of the older WAFs, it, they were not set it and forget it. Mm -hmm. Again, I would argue that some of the newer ones, maybe there is that flexibility and sophistication as they've added more intelligence, as they're, they've got more threat feeds, as they're pushing out rules, there's a little bit more of that. But historically, you know, there was some really interesting data from the last time I did a WAF wave two years ago, and I'm in the process of starting another one. But two years ago, when we asked customers about what they valued or why they wanted a WAF, one of the top responses was prevent zero-day attacks. And yet, when we asked them how happy they were with their current vendor at preventing said zero-day attacks, the numbers were much lower and they were much less satisfied. So there's almost this idealizing of the platform and it's not meeting the expectations. Um, so I guess the question of how I justify it, used properly and asking the right questions about what capabilities it has, it can be a valuable part of your technology stack. But if you're letting it sit there, if you have it in monitor mode, if you're not updating it, if you're not working with your vendor to make sure that you're getting the latest rules and all of that stuff, is it doing what you need? So if you got one of these things and you're getting uh, all the, you know, all the issues with mm -hmm. sort of vectoring in and making sure that your false positives are as low as possible, yep. do you suggest, or does it make sense in your experience for someone to reach out and do this type of thing 
with a partner MSSP? Should they be doing it themselves? Because the numbers on the care and feeding of a WAF are not good for the WAF, you know, and uh, care and feeder. You mean, should they be doing it on their own or should they be doing this? With yeah, partners? right. I mean, it's one of those questions of if if you know that the WAFs are, provide value, but you yep. also know that there's a lot of, you know, tweaking and changing and sort of making things really vectored in to have it as effective as possible. Does it make sense to do it yourself? I mean, and obviously if you're an enterprise with a great big staff, whatever, but right. for the majority of folks, or does it make more sense to tie up with someone that can do it for you? You know, you've got a limited security budget. You've got limited talent. If you've got an expert partner that can manage a lot of this for you, I would tend to advocate in that direction, Chase. There are so many other things that you could be doing from a security standpoint more strategically than the day-to-day -day care and feeding of really any of your tool sets. But, you know, particularly with WAF, having someone that can make sure the rule sets are up to date, that can help you update any of your data leakage rules, that can help you extend the capabilities as additional API security functionality is added. Someone that can actually help you keep up with what's new in the WAF and help you update the rule sets appropriately and help you make sure you're getting the latest from your vendor. I, I have to say, I wouldn't mind having someone else do that for me so I can concentrate on other stuff. And what that could you... be your vendor or it could yeah. be a, a managed pro service provider. Right. So, I mean, essentially, if you can't dedicate the time and the specific resources to it, it's probably smarter uh, for a whole bunch of reasons to outsource it. I would say so. Yeah. I mean, I, I, it's one of those things where I've been wrapping my head around. I have yet to come up with a reason of like, okay, this is the whole reason why I should keep it in house. I, I mean, I'm a fan personally of outsourcing MSSP because most folks don't have the talent and the, and I mean talent by the history, not because they're not talented but the talent to do the, the work specific to cyber. They don't have the time. I mean, there's so many other things they could be doing, right? You know, it, you, if you're, look, if you're a large enterprise and you have the team that can manage that, great. If you have a good relationship with your vendor and you, and they're able to manage a lot of this for you, great. But if you're a small shop, I would rather see you dedicating your security team to maybe some of the other aspects of your application security. Maybe you also have to be looking at a bot solution. Maybe you have to be looking at your broader API security strategy beyond just the WAF. Maybe you want to look at your pre-release testing. Maybe you want to look at your cloud security. Hmm. Now, wise, yeah. So the WAF is honestly among your among your managed service providers, WAF is one of the application security tools that they seem to have a good handle on. So why not farm that one out? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Then where do you see this market going over the course of the next couple, three years? Is it gonna be WAFs are gonna be part of uh, another bigger capability? Is it gonna be WAFs continue to be their own thing? How does this change in the future? What's been really interesting is how we have seen the WAF vendors acquire new capabilities and new technologies. We've seen a number of API security acquisitions by major WAF vendors over the last few years. Just like a couple of years ago, we saw a lot of bot management acquisitions. So we're seeing the 
WAF providers continue to grow, add more capabilities, they're also becoming much more cloud aligned. It's much more common to hear about WAF offerings that are hybrid cloud and multi-cloud. Pretty much every major vendor has a hybrid or multi-cloud offering at this point, which is pretty critical. We're also seeing new form factors. We're seeing a lot more containerized WAFs. We're seeing micro WAFs. So we are seeing WAFs that can align better with the development pipeline. I think that's a really neat step forward. So I don't necessarily think you're going to see WAFs be rolled into something else, but I do think you're going to see WAFs continue to extend their functionality as the definition of applications evolves. Hmm. And do you think that there's changes coming in the market in general that you're going to, I mean, the, the the more cloud, the more virtual, that type of thing, is that going to cause uh, changes to the approach around WAFs whole hog, or is it just going to be where WAFs continue to evolve and are still that front line of defense for most organizations uh, with that application? What I would say is that we are seeing a move towards more cloud types of WAFs in terms of that deployment environment. There's still look, there's still a lot of appliances sitting out there. That is the majority of it. But if you actually look at the growth in the market, that's all on the cloud containerized whatever side of it. Mm -hmm. So you're going to see a lot of a shift towards that, which means, again, it's going to be easier to maintain and manage. Um, I'm not sure I answered all of the question there. What was the other piece of that? No, I mean, I think you answered it without having to answer it. I mean, really, that's where the the evolution is lining up and those technologies are driving that change. I, the the last piece of this um, is because, like you said, you're working on an evaluative report for the WAF market. Yeah. If you had to pull a you know prediction out of the uh, magic eight ball there, what would you think you're going to see over the course of the wave evaluation for WAFs? Or what would you expect to see? I expect that I'm going to see a huge jump in the API support compared to last time. That is the biggest change that I'm expecting. I think that that's where most of the WAF vendors have invested tremendously in the last two years. So I think I'm going to see that. Uh, I know that I'm going to see much more hybrid and multi-cloud because, frankly, that was part of how I... set some of the inclusion criteria this time around, Chase. I didn't want to evaluate anything that was, you know, just focused on, you know, appliance. So being able to find vendors that even if they had an appliance, they also had something that was hybrid and multi-cloud, that was really important to me this time around. Why, why are they still, I mean, why is there still such a tie into appliance space? Is it because there's just a lot of horsepower needed for this stuff? Because, I mean, cloud, you can do everything with cloud, but there still seems to be like a lot of appliances. There are a lot of people still migrating, Chase. You know, it's easy for us to pay attention to the leaders, but there's a really long tail to this stuff. And you still have a lot of folks sitting on-prem. You still have a lot of old appliances sitting out there. Even if we think that everyone's moving to the cloud, maybe even in an organization that's very, you know, modern and forward-looking, they still could have pockets of legacy stuff out there. Maybe they're in the cloud, but it turns out 95% of them of of their applications are in the cloud, and they still have some of the stuff they're trying to manage. So we still see 
we still see some appliances. You know, the other thing I would say, though, Chase, is there's an aspect with some of this, and it was interesting hearing some of your your stats, but there's also, unless people are unhappy, they're not likely to replace the WAF because it's not that, if it's not bothering them and it's just sort of humming along, there's not a lot of value in them fixing or upgrading that. Now, some of what you shared makes me think that probably more folks should be looking at how their WAF is performing for them, and they should be doing those upgrades. They should be replacing into something more modern. They should be upgrading to a cloud WAF. They should maybe be going back to their existing vendor and saying, hey, are there features we're not using? Right, but, yeah, are we getting the value out of this thing? Yeah, and I do think that's part of it, by the way. Even in some of the API security calls I've had, I often ask the customers, who are you using for a WAF? Have you gone back to them to understand what API security features they've added recently? Because I think there's been so much evolution of that in the last two years, it would be very easy as a user to fall behind and not realize everything that you had in place. Yeah, well, it, space changes so fast. Well, there, uh, there we have it from the, the the Jedi that's covering the space and seeing WAF in her nightmares, Sandy Carrier <laughs> at Forrester. I'm sure she's got uh, you know trauma from doing WAF waves. <laughs> nah, no more than any others. And I'm I, I have to say I'm excited to see what kind of evolution there will be. For years, this was a very stagnant market. And I think necessity has pushed it to adapt to the changing application space. So fingers crossed we'll see some good stuff this time. Fingers crossed. We'll uh, catch up with you after the uh, the waves published and you've had your time to churn through all the, the bloodletting that occurs. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you. Looking awesome. forward to it. Thank you so much. Thanks, Chase. Disclaimer, the information in this podcast episode, aka episode, is provided for general information purposes only. By listening to this episode, you understand that this is not specific technical guidance from the host. No information contained in this episode should be construed as security advice from the author, host, or guest, nor is it intended to be a substitute for security advice on any particular subject matter. No listener of this episode should act or refrain from acting on the basis of any information included in or accessible through this episode without seeking the appropriate technical or other professional advice on the particular facts and circumstances that are discussed. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All views expressed therein are those of the host and his guest and should not be considered as being endorsed by nor related to the host or the guest's employers.